when I said I found myself in a bit of a paradox, um, you know, I prepare a message on joy and I get a phone call last night and, and I want to pray for my sister and I want to enlist your prayers with me and uh, because you're going to preach on joy and you get some of the most sorrowful news you could ever get and uh, my uh, nephew last night was killed in a car wreck and uh, yeah, way to start a, a message of joy off, huh? And um, she's devastated. Uh, my sister couldn't have children. This is my youngest sister, not the one that's been out here. Well, she's been out here before, but not at church. My middle sister, Amanda, is the blonde-haired one that's been here before. And then uh, my other sister, Casey, uh, her son, it's her stepson. She's raised him since she was a little boy, though. And, uh, and uh, she's been like, or he's been like her own son. And it's just a tough time. Uh, really her only if you will, there's another son, but he lives with his his natural mom, and so my sister has really been the the mom to this boy and raised him, and and just been there in his life. So her and her husband David are just going through some of the greatest anguish you could ever go through. Amen. In that, uh, I'll be going back. My whole family, we can't all go back for the funeral, but I'll be going back and uh, and attending that uh, with my family. You know, as my brother Brent, most of you know him. He and I have talked. Uh, my sisters uh, have had quite the riff most of their life, and they don't have good relationship, but of course, they will be together probably for the first time in a long time, you know, at this funeral. So in a sense, my brother and I, he's going to be with my younger sister in the sense of kind of holding that because her husband is my one of my brother's best friends. They were in the same uh, graduating class, played basketball together and those kind of things. Um, and then my... Uh, my older or my uh, middle sister, uh, I'll be going with her so that, if you will, we feel kind of like referees, and you don't know what's going to come, and you think it's a tough enough situation already yet to have all of that weighing in on it too, and so my hope is, is that somehow in the midst of all of this, that they can see that um, life's too stinking short to hold on to things, and you know what? We need to grab a hold of the joy of the Lord. It gives us the strength to come through things, amen? And so even as I prayed, like, how in the world do I turn that when I give that news? And uh, how do you turn that into joy? All I know is that God sits on the throne, and he is in control. So did he cause the, the wreck that took my nephew's life? No, he did not. This earth, as I said, offers up many challenges, many circumstances. There are realities that we deal with every day. And in dealing with those, we have a choice. We can choose to be joyful even in the midst of tough circumstances. Amen. I want to read a couple scriptures to you uh, that I think gives us great hope in the midst of anything that we may face in life. And it starts uh, first with uh, Romans 8, 28 through 33. It says, uh, verse 28, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them uh, right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. 
What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. You say, if we're standing right with God, if we're in right standing because of the work that God's Son has done, then there's nothing that we have to see in this life that could be so overwhelming that we can't take a hold of that uh, willingness to choose joy, to choose a joyful life, because even in the midst of situations, that the breakdowns that come, even as I talk about the situation with my two sisters, you know, it has a way of stealing our joy. But if they can see somebody hold on to joy in the midst of those situations, then it gives them possibly the hope that they need to hang on that one day things may be just a little bit different than they appear. Amen? And that's what we're supposed to be. If you will, when Jesus said that we're to be salt and light in the earth, light tends to cause there to be this difference, if you will, in the midst of so much darkness that people see it and it's like, wow, that's, that's, that's different than everything else around me. They see the, the brightness of that. It's something that, that brings a glow with it, if you will. You know, I, I, can't, I can't even explain to you now. I know I've shared before my testimony of when my grandfather passed away and all my family was together at the moment of my grandfather's death. And they're talking about his stuff. I want his Bible. That's all I want. And you know what? I don't even have to have that because what I have is the legacy of what my grandfather always desired. He wanted to be a pastor. And as he said to his doctor and to his pastor as he was laying on his deathbed, all the other kids lived back there. They were able to see him. I did get to see Grandpa a number of months prior to that, but I wasn't there when he went. But he looked at his pastor and he said, hmm, sorry, this is a joyful message, hallelujah. There are tears of joy, believe it or not. He looked at his pastor and he said, <laughs> Come on. He looked at his pastor and he said, Would you tell my grandson Derek that he is doing with his life what I always wanted to do? I always wanted to be a pastor. And that I'm proud of him for having the boldness and the courage to do what I never did. And when his pastor pulled me aside. He said, Derek, I wanted to talk to you because I have some words for you from your grandfather. And when he told me those words, because I was kind of always the, <laughs> the black sheep, the, you know, I think you've heard some of my testimony. My natural father raped my grandfather's wife. So I ended up being the one that he took that out on growing up. I'm my father's only son. I look just like him. And because of that, what happens is, is, you know, he'd see me and he'd be like, you're just like him, you little blank. And he had all that anger and bitterness inside him. But by the time he had come to that point in his life, he had worked through that stuff. He wasn't a bitter man anymore. You know, I think you've heard me share before his nickname when I was a kid. Everybody called him grumpy. Somebody does that to your wife. Somebody even in the context of family does that to your wife. I think you might have a reason to be a little bit grumpy. Hey? But he worked through those things. 
And to all of us kids, he really was the, the greatest father that any of us kids ever had in our life. And so that moment, all that takes place. And, 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 and what's crazy about it is you see that take place. And in the midst of it, I'm there and they're having this moment like talking about why well, I want this or I want that. And they're like, what do you want? I'm like, I just want his Bible. Well, little did I know the Bible that he had was given to him by my sister Casey. And so when, they, when I got the Bible, there was a point where um, she got uh, married to David. And when that day came, she wanted the Bible to be able to have at her wedding. She had a picture of Grandpa because Grandpa was going to walk her down the aisle because she didn't have a dad. And so Grandpa was going to walk her down the aisle. He didn't. So she put a picture in his Bible there and, and didn't give me the Bible back. <laughs> it's okay. I, I've got the living word on inside of me, amen. And my, my feeling was, you know, um, and, and she believes in the Lord. But my thing is, is I think that she'll be cracking that Bible open a whole lot now in her life. And it gives me no greater joy than for her to have that in front of her at this time, if that makes sense to you. But Paul says he works all things together for good. When my pap, we called him pap, my grandpa, when my pap passed away, the patriarch of the family, the one that told us, you're going to go to church. You all have heard the testimony of how, Derek, if you don't get baptized in water, you're going to go to hell and all your flesh is going to burn off. You're just going to be a little skeleton down there in hell burning. Twelve years old. I'm like, man, I'll buy the fire insurance. Let me get baptized in water right now. You know what I'm saying? So I went to the altar, baptized in water, and, and, and all I know is out of, out of that, you know, there was other things that were taught too. And uh, I wouldn't say they... They necessarily taught the word, you know, it was strong all the time, but, but there was times, there was moments, there was words that were very, very strong in my life. And all I know is coming out of that, uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Well, I had that one down, you know what I'm saying? So wisdom was at work within me that I need God in my life. And so most of you know the testimony that carries on from that. And do you know, uh, when I look back on those memories, the tough thing about the the moments where you hear people who criticize the church and the way they do this or the way they do that and they pound the pulpit. Can you give me a tissue, honey? Well, I don't know if you're honey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor James. I appreciate that. <laughs> Edit that out of the video. <laughs> Good where was I? That'll, that'll crack your thoughts. What was my last statement? I literally am blank. No, not thank you, honey. That one's what, that's messed my message up. What was my last statement? Okay, I can't hear everybody. Oh, that we, you know, we, we recall those things that, that we had negative experiences. And you know what? When I look at my family, there's a, there's a lot of negative experiences. A lot of them. But there's a lot of positive experiences too. I don't know a family on this earth that I've ever sat and talked with a family where they said, yeah, my family was perfect. Anybody in here? You know? Uh, matter of fact, when I say, if you open the dictionary and you looked up, looked up, if you look up dysfunctional, you'll find my family's photo there. Uh-uh, you'll find my family's photo there. You know what I'm saying? There, there's no perfect family. And you, I think that's the, really the paradox, if you will, of the church in the sense that, that we come to a perfect God, and, and then we join his church, and what happens is, is we start to think, well, it's all going to be perfect, 
because it's a perfect God and these people worship this perfect God so the church will be perfect. No, because it's got us in it. And we're not. We're messed up. We're broken people that Jesus is mending and putting back together. There's something about walking through challenges. There's something about it that that lends us a perspective that we don't have unless we do. So then God does it to us? No, this life and Adam's choice in the garden subjected all mankind to futility is what the Bible teaches us. That the whole earth, this globe, that the whole earth is groaning and it's travailing, awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. It's awaiting that moment when, when this age comes to an end and God makes all things new. It's awaiting that, that moment, if you will, in Revelation where it says, and he'll wipe every tear away. There'll be no more sorrow and no more pain. There's no more suffering in heaven. That day awaits us if we are a people that will stay our course in this earth and follow him. And I say this, if we'll be a people, even in the midst of sorrowful situations, we can shed tears, but hang on to hope. We can shed tears, but manifest a a sense and a feeling of joy. I have a feeling of joy that I knew my sister's son, that I knew Curtis. I have a sense of joy that I had good times with my family. If I have any sorrow, it's that we don't have more joyful times because there's a tendency to hang on to the negative rather than grab a hold of the positive. Come on, somebody. God is a God who declares that he'll work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What's he declaring there? I think it's a pretty positive statement. When he it looks down on us from heaven, it's like, wow. He knows every single one of us. He knows our mess. You understand that, right? He knows every person in here, including myself. He knows what area you've got a little bit of hypocrisy going on. It's like, not me, you pastor, you got hypocrisy, I don't have any. He knows if you've been angry with someone else. He knows if you're carrying offense. He knows if you're not faithful to him. He knows all those things. There's nothing that is hidden from him. He sees it all. And yet, what does he give us? He gives us this road of grace. A road of grace that even in the midst of that, we could hear that statement and go, yeah, I'm screwed up, man. You're right. I I don't live right. Or we can hear that he gave his son so that there is a hope that we can joyfully, under his grace, pursue him. And not feel a sense of, I can't go there because God, you know, I'm so wrong and I'm not. No, actually, you can go there in joy. You can walk after him in joy because of his grace. Come on now. Let me read to you 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. Keep in mind that he works all things. That's, I want to marry those together in that sense, that he works all things together for good. And listen to Paul's exhortation out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholeheartedly love uh, excuse me, and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Anybody seeing any, anything in there that reflects about keeping the family together and keeping things in a place to where there can be joy in the family, right? Why? What, what, is, what is pastoring? What is, if you step up to any role of leadership within the, the church, if you take on any responsibility for someone else, what are you doing? The same thing you do when you're a parent. 
when you say, hey, let's have kids. You're like, yeah, that'll be great. They're nice and cuddly, and it's so fun to hold them. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get them, and then you feed them something, and then you're like, you know, and you're like, what is that? Right? I mean, you're like, what is that when it's in the diaper? And when you open that bad boy up, you're going, what is that? Right? How can that little cute thing do that? How can the cute church, how can the power and the love and all the good things that exist within the church, how can there be bad things? Welcome to planet Earth. It's just the way it is. It's the way it is. And you've got a choice to make. You've got a choice. Choose joy. Say that with me. Choose joy. Now, we're going to do it in two segments. Choose joy. We need to choose it. It is our choice. We can choose to walk around, you know, pining away, or we can choose to live in the joy of the Lord. I'm not talking about just some kind of, you know, smoke a joint and you're joyful. That was probably for somebody in here that's doing that. Stop it. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about going and, you know, get drunk and you'll be joyful. I'm not talking about all these things that are substitutes for the joy of the Lord. You can find fun times out here. The Bible says that sin is even fun for a season. You can go and sin and be like, man, I really like this. But afterwards, it yields death. When you choose to sulk or, or, or think through things over and over and over again in their negative light, what good is it doing you? It tears you down. You tear yourself down from the inside out is really what happens. Why don't you choose to build yourself up from the inside out by choosing joy? Amen? You guys, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with some people. Be, pa- be patient with a few folks. Be patient with everyone, right? Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. And here it comes. Paul says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. In all circumstances, Paul? Because I'm thinking, you know, some circumstances I can't be too thankful. Did Paul mean all? Or was he just kind of like, oh man, I really messed that up. No, Paul meant in all circumstances be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. I'm figuring that everything prior to that, everything prior to Paul's statement there, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. What, What would we say? Don't hinder the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Don't don't grieve him. Don't hold him back. No, no, well, Holy Spirit, I got this one. I'll take care of it, right? I'm figuring that Paul makes that statement after everything he's just said because all those other things that exist before, if we don't do them properly, what happens is, is it stifles the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Come on now. He's summing it up and saying, man, don't stifle the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Anybody ever received a prophecy? I received one. I, I hope I don't embarrass folks. I already, Jeremiah, I want you to stand up and say hello to the folks. Hey. 
And let me say this, you know, uh, we're working on our salvation, they're working on their salvation, you're working on yours, I'm working on mine, and what happens is, is in the midst of that, if we are a people that reflect God and His desires, what comes out of us is grace and love and mercy and joy. And yes, there's a, hey, you know, this is the way we need to live. That's the hard one, right? But the Word of God is good for reproof, correction, and instruction. I got a prophecy in Ohio, or Ohio, Michigan, when I did that youth camp. And that prophetic word, two days before I left for that youth camp, I said to Angie, I said, you know, I've seen the devil wreak havoc on the sons of the house. I've seen him erode and try to, try to just tear down the sons of the house. And uh, when I say that, every house needs to have sons. That's how it's established. Sons and daughters. But you've got to have sons in the house of God. And at the end of the camp, I get pulled up by the pastor. He says, I got a word for you. Two days prior, I said, man, I just want to see sons in the house again. I miss, I miss my sons. I miss those that were in the house of God and excited for the things of God and leading the way. Come on, somebody. And he says, come, come up here. And I walk up, and I'm standing there, and he says, God says that he's going to bring sons back in your house, and he's going to bring sons back home. And I'm like, what? Don't scoff at prophecies, right? And I got a phone call. Hey, can I meet? Uh, Matt, are you in here today? Where's he at? Bippus? Matt, welcome home. Welcome home. So, so some, some people's minds might wander, well, I wonder what, you know, no, no. My mind wanders to this, to the future. Let me show you why. <clears throat> we can choose to be joyful, but we're going to have to choose to be positive rather than negative. Come on now. And it's, oh, you're talking about that positive thinking stuff. Well, if you want to continue negative, I mean, I don't know how that's going to turn out for you, but, right? How many of you love being around negative people? Huh? You just love it when somebody's like, I don't like that dress. I think if it was a little bit lighter shade, it might look okay, but I don't really like that on you. <laughs> Ladies, how many of you would be walking away going, boy, yeah, I don't like you, right? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying. It's just like always something. Ugh, ugh, ugh. You walk away feeling like, ew, it's sticky. I can't get this off me. Listen to this. Optimism. Say Optimism. Hopeful and confident about the future or a successful outcome of something. Synonyms, hopefulness, hope, confidence, buoyancy. In other words, you ever seen the buoy in the water, right? Anybody ever try to hold a buoy under? When I was a kid, I used to love like, okay, you're going down. Whoosh, right? Boom, I'm down and it's up, right? Buoyancy. You can't keep it down, you understand? Buoyancy, cheer, cheerfulness. Good cheer. Sanguineness. Jared, come on now. Where are you at in the house? J12. Jared is a pure sanguine. We talk about, you know, you just can't get Jared down too easy, right? He's just always up. Sanguineness, positiveness, positive attitude. More, if you will, um, would be that you see that there can be more, Right? Would that fall in line with God's statement about he will do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask, hope, or even think? Say that with me. Ask, hope, or even think. God will do exceedingly abundantly above. 
And listen, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, so what, what's at work there? Look, here's my thing, is that if you can't please God without faith, then how important is hope in the equation of pleasing God? Hope's pretty important, amen? So I think this positive stuff is very, very important in our life. Here you go. Pessimism. Let me rewind that. Pessimism. A tendency to see the worst aspect of things or believe that the worst will happen. A lack of hope or confidence in the future. Uh, For instance, the dispute cast an air of deep pessimism over the future. In other words, if something happens and it's like, oh, it's it's just all horrible. You got to somehow see the silver lining, right? Somehow you got to see through that. And I say that when you can get the heart of God, you're going to be able to see through that to the possibilities that are only there through him. You choose to be joyful because choosing to be joyful will keep you in a right mindset as far as honoring God with your life in the midst of any situation. Listen, it's very similar to this picture I'm going to show you. Would you put that up there? Okay. Uh, Damon, what do you see? Duck. See a duck. Who sees a duck up there? Who sees a duck? I'm asking who sees a duck. Some of you might see something else, but right now, who sees a duck? Raise your hand if you see a duck. Okay, hands down. James, what do you see? Rabbit. A rabbit. Who sees a, you see a rabbit? Who sees a rabbit? Raise your hand. Okay, hands down. Who saw the rabbit and the duck? Hands down. Who didn't see anything at all? oh man hallelujah okay who doesn't see the rabbit raise your hand if you don't see the rabbit okay if you look the fuzzy bunny's nose is right by that white white spot where you think it's can you see it his ears are coming back this way oh no we can't move on till you get this no it doesn't his neck comes down, the bunny's eye, his mouth is like where the little indentation is over there. Do you have a laser pointer back there? You don't see the bunny. The bunny, the bunny, I love the bunny. Can you, can you, can you show the mouth of the bunny? There's the mouth of the bunny. And then, of course, you see the eye. Aha! We call, you know what? They call that in a paradigm shift. It's called the aha moment. The moment I don't see it, I don't say, oh, aha, right? It's the same way with this. How can anybody be joyful in this kind of situation? How can anybody find joy within difficult situations? It's the aha moment. This isn't my joy. It's the Lord's joy working in me, amen, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, the next thing I would say is uh, if we can begin to see our lives as more than just the circumstances around us, the things that are happening around us, the things that are happening to us. If we can see our lives that way, you know, then we start to recognize that, you know what? If, as Paul said in Romans 8, greater is he that is in me, right, than he that is in the world. You know, or if God be for us, who can be against us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Anyone? No one, right? Anybody ever found themselves in a place where they feel like, well, I don't know if I can come through this, you know, on the upside. I don't know if I can make it through this situation. I don't know, you know, you're focusing on the surface of it. 
You got to see that greater is he that is in you than he, he that is in the world. You got to see that if God is for you, then who can be against you? You start to recognize that the kingdom of God in you is greater than anything going on around you. Come on, somebody say amen in the house. The kingdom of God in you is greater than anything going on around you. Next slide, please. It's like this. The iceberg on the surface is nothing to compare to what's going on beneath the surface. He that has begun a good work in you, he's promised this, that he'll perform that work until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That even though you may not know that God's working in you, God is at work within you. And his work within you is a whole lot bigger than anything you're dealing with on the surface of your life. I don't know what to do with that. That kind of threw me off a little. <laughs> Danielle's like, preach it, that's good. You know, yeah. Amen. The work that's going on inside of you is bigger. All things work together for good. When we read this verse, we often immediately deny it. I don't know, but you don't know what's going on here. No, all things will work together for good if you love God and you realize you're called according to his purpose. We know of too many situations often in our life to give that credence in our, to give that the higher place in our life because it's not up here, it's down there. It's like, yeah, but it, it, it may be at work, but I don't see it. What, what was faith again? Faith is the substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things not seen. Trust me, God's at work in you. Pray for your situation. Lift it up to God and choose joy in the midst of those moments. Living positively with our eyes on Jesus might be the key element that makes the difference if we believe that God will bring something good out of the situation and look for it, then it is more than likely to happen. If we're not looking for it, if we're not believing for it, it's probably not going to happen, right? These signs will follow them that believe. It's like, I need a miracle, but I don't believe it. <laughs> you know, I need it, but I don't believe that God can do it. I need a miracle for what's going on up here, but, and even though I know he's bigger, I just don't believe he can do it. When you start getting this picture, and this is what I would challenge you to do, in, the, in, the, in, in that place of choosing joy in the midst of difficult situations, here's what you do. Remember the iceberg. Just go ahead and choose joy because you release all that is under the surface. You release all the work of God within you to work for you. You've got to give him place. The Bible says neither give place to the devil. It doesn't say neither give place to God. Don't give the devil place to work in your life. Give God a place to work in your life. And choosing joy gives him that place because you're taking, choosing to take your eyes off your circumstance and place them on God's word. Amen? So uh, I wanted to uh, also say that, you know, life starts off. Anybody start off their life as a little kid like, my life sucks. Uh, do you remember yourself as a kid? You know, you just your your earliest memories. You're like, my life sucks, man. I hate my life. You know, <laughs> I don't. You know, I don't remember that. I remember being a kid, and 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 literally, you know, my first my first real memory as a kid is fishing with my dad. One of the most joyful memories I had was going fishing with my dad. Now I remember catching my first bluegill. It was probably like this big. But, I mean, that thing was a monster. You know what I'm saying? It's like I caught that fish. I'm like, Dad, it's huge. He's like, yeah, buddy, it's huge. I remember that vividly, the way he said it, too. Yeah, buddy, it's huge. Right? 
And I, I remember his fingers dwarfing that fish, like, you know, as he's taking that little bluegill off there, his fingers, two fingers as he's holding it, it like covered half the bluegill. Now, as a kid, my perspective, you understand, was just a little different than it is now. If I caught a bluegill, I'd be like, man, I'll throw my pole in the water and quit, you know? Nope, back then, that was the best thing that could have been. That's my first memory as a kid. My second memory as a kid, if I was to go back to it, would have been when I, my, my dad was beating my mom. He was drunk. And, I, and what I remember, I just remember crying. I just remember standing there crying and not knowing what's going on. You understand? And then on and on and on, good memories, bad memories, good memories, bad memories, right? But out of that, something happened to me. I began to joke around. You know, I wanted everybody to be happy and joyful. I didn't want people to be mad at each other. Something shifted in me at a very young age. I, I, I couldn't stand injustice. My mom named me Derek. And I didn't even know, I, you know, until later on in life, after I became a Christian, what my name meant in, in Greek. It's ruler of the people, one who seeks justice. Now, I can't stand injustice. And I sat and watched injustice all my life. I watched the abuse and all those things growing up. And I've got good memories, trust me. And I held on to them. Y'all have heard me say about when my, my stepdad molested me, that, that, that going back and, and what do I grab there? It's like when I introduced my wife to him and, and, and these are my kids. People are like, how in the world could you go up to him when he had done that? I'm like, well, I wasn't saying, hey, you want to hang out all the time. It wasn't focused on that necessarily. But the point was, is that, you know what? I need to establish that Christ, the work that he has done in me, beneath the surface here is so much bigger than anything that existed on the surface. Come on now. And, and so when I walked up to him and I'm like, hey, Robert, he's, you know, freaked him out. And then what do I do? I introduce him and I say this, thank you for teaching me how to work. I had good memories about learning how to, I, I, things that we did, accomplishment. You know, when you learn at that age how to accomplish something, it, it does something for you. It puts a resolve in you that you can get something done. It puts a resolve in you that you can accomplish something. And he put that inside of me. He taught me that. And I was able to be thankful in that situation for what God had done in my life through this man who also had the negative. But see, the negative all of a sudden is dwarfed by what God had done in me. Another guy that understood that in the Bible, if you want to go read a story sometime that's awesome, is Joseph. And there's a guy that suffered injustice and mistreatment and all the things that he went through. And at the end of it all, he says to his brothers, you know, you might have intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. God shaped me through that so that I could be a leader and really shaped me to be a deliverer to help others, you know, to uh, make it through a time of famine. He was a dreamer, and God put him in the right place as a dreamer. Come on now. But to give some perspective that nobody starts off their life, you know that Joseph was a pretty happy little boy when he had his colorful coat from daddy, you know, his, his coat of many colors, and he's walking out, checking up on his brothers, like, hey, so how's the work going? It's like, hey, man, you little whippersnapper. He was the young guy, you know what I'm saying? And he's not out there laboring in the fields. He's going and checking up and coming back. Hey, Dad, they're, they're working. Or, hey, Dad, they're not working. You know what I'm saying? They had reason, right? Oh, here comes the dreamer, right? Because what did he do? He shared his dream one day. He said, oh, by the way, I had a dream the other night and to his brothers and his mom and his dad as well, by the way, that, that they were, here was these um, uh, wheat stalks, the shocks where they would 
bind it all up together and they're in the fields. And he goes, and there was mine and all of yours bowed down to mine. You have a dream like that, you might not want to share it with people around you. You know what I'm saying? Especially if they're bowing to you. Not just not smart, right? Because you might be sold into slavery. <laughs> That's what they did with him, right? How many of you know that was a bad day for Joseph? All these other days were good days. This was a really, really bad day. And Joseph ends up on this journey, and then he rises again, and good things happen, and then bad things happen. And you know what? How many of you know that Joseph started to understand? At that point where God lifted him up and made him second only to Pharaoh. Now you understand, this is a type of Jesus where God's concerned and Jesus is concerned. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's been given a name that's above every other name. Pharaoh did that with Joseph. Joseph was that type of the Christ, if you will. Our life is a life that is to follow Christ's life. See, he went, he went down to the pit. He went to the cross, went down to the pit, but he rose again so that we would be the kind of people that he established that we could be. Not the kind of people that our circumstance tries to dictate to us to be. Come on now. It's true. I want to show you very clearly, none of us, and you, I think you'll reflect, and one of my daughters was this way growing up, and it's, it's a clip called Joyful Little Girl. <laughs> uh, I like the last little part. Nobody can do it better than me. <laughs> you know, there's just that, that confidence in that little girl that says, you know what, uh, I'm going to take life on. And then I'm sure that little sibling in the back that you heard that got all excited and squealing when she saw her sister so happy, at some point, those two are going to have conflict. And that's where her revelation in that mirror gets challenged, is when the conflict comes, when some kind of challenge comes between them, does she still believe what she was shouting in the mirror? The question is, when you came to Christ and your life was changed, that's exactly where you were. You declare, God, I just thank you for saving me. All those things that we declare about his goodness in our life, and we didn't even read the Bible yet, and we just know. Kind of like the Samaritans, when they came to Christ, the Holy Spirit filled them, and the next thing you know, they're living out the word of God, and they don't even know it. And the Jews are coming back saying to the council in Jerusalem, saying, man, I, you just, uh, the same Holy Spirit is falling on them, and I mean, they're living right, and we haven't even taught them this stuff. Why? Because it's not something you're doing in a legalistic manner. You've got to be in the word. I mean, you need to learn the word. But what I'm saying is, is that more than anything, you need to make a connection with God. That when you receive his grace, you have an ability to extend it to everybody else around you. Because if you can't extend it to the people around you, you've not really gained the revelation of it. When the challenge comes, that's when your revelation gets tested. Can you choose joy in the midst of any situation? Now, I'm, I'm here to submit to you, and it might come to your shock that I've not passed that test at all times in my life. None of you are shocked, right? Has anybody in here? None of us have passed that test at every turn. Why? Because, can you go back to the iceberg? I'm sorry. Because that part on the surface is a very real thing. It's not, the part below it is bigger, but that still exists. Which part does a ship hit? Huh? All of it? Well, it's impacted by all of it, no question about that. I would say the ship hits the part that lies at the place of, of, of um, the surface and just below the surface. I would say that, that our greatest danger is when we're faced with 
making the choice. I, I would say that where here's the circumstance, here's God working in our life. At that point where those two are at, I would say that we're in our greatest danger point right there. And that we need to be the kind of people to say, all right, I need to choose in the midst of any situation I'm in to go to the word of God, to go to prayer, to get good counsel, and to come to that place of saying, you know, I need to make sure that I'm focusing on what's beneath. I need to focus on the work of God within me, stay focused on that, so that what happens is, is what his desire comes forth. And I make the choice. In this sense, I make the choice. I choose to be joyful. I choose joy over those circumstances dictating anger, bitterness, strife, envy, division, whatever it may be. Um, so if God is for us, God has chosen us, God has adopted us and God, as, as his children, and God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. All, all of this God has done because of his love and his mercy. We struggle with Paul's words concerning uh, you know, this idea that, that the, the work is bigger. I think some people struggle that you know, God is at work in that greater magnitude in our life because we don't get or see what we want. Does that make sense? When, when something bad happens, we tend to start looking and say, okay, God, if you're working in my life, if you're bigger, why is this happening? And I remember going through a season of my life like that when things, the calamity had closed in and I was just, why, why? And you know what? I was so stuck in why. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't go either way. It was just like I'm paralyzed and gripped with this place of why is my life? Why this and why that and why, why, why? And I'll never forget the day when I, I, was, I was working on a, on a bridge deck in, in, in Ohio and I'm out there working and I remember I'm just like, God, I just don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why this. And God's like, you know, Derek, there's a question I'd like you to ask me besides why. And I mean I, I mean, I could tell that still small voice is like, God is talking to me right now. So I'm working and I'm listening. I'm like, uh-huh, like that. And I'm like, okay, you know. And uh, he goes, I'd like you to ask me what now. And I'm like, shit. You, you know, if you've ever been at that moment where God sets you right, it's like I'm in the why of that, and God drops a what. And I'm like, and it wasn't just a what, it was a what. And my why became very small in comparison to what? Why? Pessimism focuses on what is not going well and that this has destroyed and removes any good future that I have. The optimism that God brought into my life that day was this declaration. It's like, what now? What's your future in me? And get your eyes on me and get them off your circumstances. Get your eyes on what I'm doing in your life and get them off your circumstances. Are circumstances real, saints? Yes, they're very real. But are they bigger than God? No, they are not bigger than God. And there's way too many testimonies, there's way too many stories of people walking through difficult times, walking through situations in their life, be it sickness, disease, be it imprisonment, whatever it may be, and when their focus was on God, the what now, the bigger part of the equation, their circumstances changed. Imagine Peter in prison, right? They, they imprison him, and the saints are, are at, the, they're at the house, basically, they're praying for Peter. Oh, God, let Peter out of prison. Oh, Lord, deliver him. You know, they're praying. Right? Uh, the, all of a sudden, the earth starts to shake. The jail opens up. Peter leaves. He heads back over to the house. He gets to the house. Can I help you? Right? 
little girl runs to the door and opens the, looks out the look. She didn't open the door. She looks through the look hole, right? Or the look slot. Back then it wasn't a peephole. It was a slot. It's like, can I help you? Right? And, and Peter's standing there. He didn't get to say much, you know? It's like more like the girl's like, shuts it and runs back to him. Peter's standing on the outside like, okay, did I do something wrong? Just runs back and tells them, and what they do, they all come out. They couldn't believe it. See, they had their heart and mindset to pray for a what now rather than to be focused on the why of it. They chose to be joyful in the midst of their difficult situation. Peter definitely did. And as a result of it, the, that part lying beneath the surface that God is bigger then your circumstance manifested itself. And what is the Bible full of? One after the other after the other story of exactly that happening. So I don't know what your circumstance is, but I do know that God's bigger than your circumstance. In closing today, I would choose to go back to Paul's words in Thessalonians, verse 16, 5, verse 16. And he says, always be joyful. Say that with me. Always be joyful. He says, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I think that really is a great summary. Paul sums up 1 Thessalonians really in this, in this uh, stage, in this chapter. He sums it up. And he's telling us how to live because we belong to Christ. Amen. Stand to your feet with me if you would. Hallelujah. You know, some of you may be facing difficult situations in life, dis difficult decisions. And I would say that today, make them right. Get it in the right place. See that God is bigger. Go to the next slide. Oops. Can you go to that last scripture, please? Nehemiah. Nehemiah, and Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength, so choosing joy will give you the strength you need to make it through any circumstance you face. Amen. So I don't know what you may be dealing with today, but I do want to subject this. Those of you who would like prayer, I'm going to ask the elders and those who have been trained to do altar ministry, just go ahead and, and position yourself down here at the front. And if you need a miracle in your life, man, come get it today. Because what's Paul saying? Choose joy. Come down here. Choose joy today for your life, no matter what your circumstance. And, and do what? Pray. Come get prayer for your circumstance. Let's believe God for a supernatural change. Believe God for that which belies beneath that surface, the bigger part to be manifest in your life, to dwarf, if you will, those circumstances that actually in the light of who God is are small. So if that's you, I just want you to get out and come down here. If you need healing, you know, you need financial breakthrough, whatever that means, a new job, I don't care what it is. Just get out of your seat and come down here and receive prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I, Father, as, as people make the decision in their hearts to come, God, I want to lift my sister to you. And, and Father, our family, um, her husband, God, the extended family on his side.
God, I ask you to manifest yourself strong, Lord God, in the midst of their sorrow. God, I pray in the midst of all their loss that they would see you. That God, you would work in their lives. And Father, there would be, Lord God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit just poured out over them right now in Jesus' name. We love you, God. We adore you. We know that you're more than capable of working in our lives. If we would just simply yield to you, choose to allow you, God, you'll do it. You may not do it the way we think you're going to do it. You may not do it the way we want you to do it. But God, you will work in our lives if we'll yield ourselves over to you and allow you to perform your will in our lives. So we do that this morning, Lord. For those, Lord, that need prayer this morning, I pray that, God, you would work in their lives. Father, open doors that can't be shut by man. Lord, let the the way before them become very clear that, God, we choose joy. Joy isn't always a feeling. We may have the feeling from time to time, but, God, we choose to be joyful. Just like the psalmist said, why are you downcast, O my soul? I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. And today we do exactly that in Jesus' name. So if you need prayer, the elders are up here. You're more than welcome to do that. Otherwise, God bless you. We love you very dearly.